Live from Derbyshire, this is The Sunday Lunch Show with Brent Poland, and you are listening live. Welcome to The Sunday Lunch Show, which I've just literally had my cheese on toast, beans on toast. Thank you, Adam. That was a nice lunch that you made. So today we're going to look at metacognition, which is thinking about thinking. Um, from Nathan Burns, who's a Mr. Metacognition. Come join us, tune in, talk it out, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Show. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Okay, good morning, good, good afternoon, sorry, and um, welcome to um, this lunchtime edition of the Teacher Talk Radio with myself, Adam Spence, and... And me, and now I'm fully, fully non-famished, yeah. not hungry any longer, thank you very much, Adam. Yes, yeah, right. We should do maybe a live uh, cookery one where we kind of share <laughs> share lunchtime treats, but uh, yeah, nothing better on an absolutely freezing day here in uh, Derby. Uh, minus five I got this morning at seven o'clock. Wow. Um, so, yeah, beans is definitely the kind of key. The staple diet for a cold day and a nice uh, cup of tea. And we're uh, raring to go. And uh, what an interesting week it's been. The the polls are in, as we, as it says. The, the, the information's in. Yeah, and um, we can't ignore that. The elephant in the room is, of course, the, the strike situation. And, and I'm stuck in the middle of it. I'm a, an NEU rep and I've had lots of conversations with my colleagues. Uh, one thing I would say, and I'll say this to everybody, and, and I said it to my whole whole staff room, it's just obviously be, be, be kind to each other. Um, everybody's in very different places when it comes to the situation. Um, we, we know that one union has voted to strike. We know that one union hasn't. We know the head teachers union was close to. We know that support staff in Wales can go on strike, but not support staff in England. So there's a little bit of confusion in the in the, in the profession. And of course, there's lots of people out there who haven't actually been on strike before. And and what do we do? So in the next the next two weeks or so, uh, I'm, I'm sure that the union um, that I'm part of will lay out and um, what it will be doing. And I know that's where I was yesterday until I got a flat tire. Yeah. So I was on the way to a, a reps conference, and, and literally that's what it was. Yeah. It was all the questions that we have and putting people's minds at ease, and the justification. And I suppose the thing I will say is is that now's the time to defend our profession um, on media, social media, whatever you can. Um, you know, parents are with us, uh, parents support us, um, and we've been through the last horrible last couple of years. So, but just be mindful of where everybody's at at the moment, and we'll not make it um, this episode about the strike, but I think we will. Um, we will look at possibly getting some of the mm. union representation back in. We had yeah. we had Kevin Courtney before, uh, and just to have the general conversation with people because we want people to make informed decisions. We want people to make decisions based upon their choice, and I think choice is always important. Yeah. I mean, I'm a history teacher, GCSE, and I always tell the children, you know, I, I want them to choose my subject based upon their, their intrinsic love of the subject rather than being forced to do things. Nothing worse than people being forced. Which brings me to the second point, which was an interesting little um, sort of a Twitter, so I wouldn't say spat, but a Twitter conversation that happened uh, with the property um, yeah. guru, uh, Kirsty Olsen. Yeah. And uh, it just popped up, and, and I saw an interesting sort of um, conversation going on between, her, between herself and one of the CEOs of one of the trusts about homework. And she just posted up about homework, how difficult it is from a parent's point of view. And before you know it, 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 it turned into a right sort of like good old Blarney online. 
Uh, and from that, then I listened into a uh, um, national radio conversation that happened. I won't mention a, a competition of a national radio. Um, and, and it was an interesting discussion. And I think we'll have to look at this one because this is the eternal struggle of homework. And, you know, now that I'm a parent myself and I can see how difficult homework is, um, I think one of the key takeaways I took from it was actually one of the quotes from Christy Olsop, which I thought was very insightful, which was, you know, a child's routine should be, you know, um, bath, um, book, bed. And, and I thought that was really brilliant, you know, you know, and I wonder how many out there, and she said that, I wonder how many parents out there are having to fight their children to get them to do their homework. And uh, it was mainly about primary school. And I think secondary is a bit of a different category, obviously, and obviously GCSEs and, and A-levels is a completely different category altogether. But it was mostly about primary school. So that'd be an interesting one to have a look at, and I'm yeah. sure that. Um, it's, well, it's oh yeah, eternal. I've just I've just posted the uh, independent article on it on our our Twitter feed, so mm. people, people can kind of pick that up. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's literally a debate that we've had this morning. I mean, I've spent this morning setting up a rather expensive uh, inkjet printer for my daughter because she was getting very stressed about uh, not being able to uh, submit homework on time, about her not being able to kind of have lunch. Uh, some days because she's in the library printing off homework so she doesn't kind of uh, get detained or get into trouble with the teachers because you know my daughter's someone that wants to kind of comply wants to get on with and do well at school and you know and we, we've luckily you know we've talked before and we Brent about kind of economic capital and uh, having the kind of means to it we're in a position where we can just quickly go on to Amazon and buy a printer we've got kind yeah. of uh, the ability to do that and so she's now set up and the relief, you can see the relief on her face, knowing that that resource is there. Um, you know, um, there's a whole debate all the time about what homework should be. Um, you know, you know, the whole kind of concept around uh, homework. You know, we've brought up Hattie before, haven't we, about kind of yeah. how important he is. So I think we've definitely got a kind of future show there. So um, it's, the, it's a measure of impact for what the the cost is, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it's a digital divide, and is that old old school that philosophy of because I, I do believe, going back to our previous show about the children taking more responsibility for, our, for their lessons. Yeah. But if you are forcing children to learn, you are not instilling within them that beautiful intrinsic love of learning, and therefore you're setting them up for future conflict. But also, you're destroying the relationship with your own children based upon what to satisfy the needs of a school. One interesting point that they, they did raise was why, why do schools set homework sometimes? Yeah. Because it's expected. Because if they don't set homework, they're judged. And then some of, some of the parents will complain and say, that's not a very good school. They don't set homework. So it's an element of you have to do that thing in order to make sure that people know you're doing that thing because we've always done that thing. And you think, what's the definition of insanity? Doing something, you know. Over and over again, you're repeating And repeating so, itself yeah. and expecting a different result. And you just think, well, actually, maybe we have to have that conversation with people and say, look, home is for home. And I, I, and I go back to, again, that the experiences during the pandemic, when everybody had that reflective period of time where we all thought, and, and people were like, oh, my God, you know, kids are missing out on school. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You think education only happens at school. Mm. And equally, you think education is just a worksheet. Yeah. I mean, and one of the fantastic things, and this is, this is interesting, and something struck a chord with me with the, the CEO of the, uh, the, the trust that he said, the learning can be done in many ways. You can, st you can stick, stick on the, the learning of um, a documentary like Richard and David Attenborough. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very honest with you. David Attenborough is one of the reasons I became a geography teacher. And I know it sounds so cliched, but on a Sunday afternoon, 
my mother would call me downstairs and literally the, the sound bite would be, the wildebeest are getting it again. <laughs> because everything in the wood, and it was always like, here's the lions, the yeah, lions are after chased. the wildebeest, here's the hyenas, the hyenas yeah. are after the, the cheetahs are after, and everything on the Serengeti plane, just basically, that's the fast food, that, that's the Mackey D's of the Serengeti. And literally, I think about it, I must have sat, but then here's the interesting thing. It was the fact that the interactions with my mother, mostly from that yeah. point of view, and then you sort of realize, how have I ended up where I've ended up? It's, it's because those connections were made. It's the parents who take their children to museums, take them on school tri you know, trips. Yeah. It's that cultural capital yeah. and how you do learning doesn't have to necessarily be, yeah. you've got a homework, tick a box. But can, can you, this is the argument, can you catch cap cultural capital up by homework? I guess that's maybe the question that we could pose. But it? it's not that insane thing again when they said, yeah. yeah, they've lost so much schooling, yeah. we need to catch them up. As if you can measure the, the, the cognition and development of a child. And, yeah. that, and that nicely brings us on yeah. to what we're going to be looking at today, which yeah, is this concept of metacognition. Yeah. I was talking to to his to his his, his Royal Highness, <laughs> the metacognition guru. I mean, I, I was more thinking about it. He's got a Twitter handle called Mr. Right, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Metacognition. Great, yeah, and it made me think, wow, that he's trademarked that. That's yeah, absolutely he's fantastic. Done, yeah. that, that's, his, that's his superpower <laughs> yeah. skill as a teacher. And it made me think, actually, if I had a Twitter handle as a teacher, what would it be? He's Mr. Metacognition. He's got the power of thought. And it made me think of that movie in the 1990s, Mystery Men, yeah. where they had, like, you know, a guy called Spleen, and he, he let off rather noxious gas, and mm. one who had a bowling ball. And, and they're all, like, quirky superpowers. What would your teacher handle superpower be? Yeah. God. I guess it would have to be something business, business studies. I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? Remember... Um... You'd be Midas. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, we had a friend. He, he, his was radical, radical geography, wasn't it? At some point, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was a great. We've got to get him on. Yeah, that, that'd be a great. Uh, he, that, was a, that was a great name. That was, that's, that's something yeah. to think about. So, if anyone can help us out, because uh, I'm running out of things to think about here. So I've got, uh, so I've got Adam Spence, business studies. Yeah, Mr. Midas. Mr. Midas. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> I don't but, know. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable for, for a branding, Mr. Mr. Like, Metacognition. Which means, get this, the guy that's come up with the name Mr. Metacognition has obviously thought about... Yeah. And this is... Probably it's not been taken, actually. I mean, well, exactly. Yeah. But it doesn't show you. This is the thing with teaching is, and, and the more I talk to Nathan, the more I go, actually, this is down to earth. We do this stuff. And yeah. one of his key things, which you get out of it, is, is that... Nathan will say obviously that that it is about we do a lot of these things we don't realise we're doing them yeah. because it's almost in our in our DNA and, and a good teacher sometimes doesn't even it's only when somebody observes you and you yeah. go why did you do that and you go well that seemed like logical common sense yeah. to me and that's the good thing about being observed sometimes that's the positive side of being observed and that's the positive side of having some student teachers come with you as well when yeah. they, and you have to explain them the, the theory and logic behind what you're doing you then you realise oh that's actually quite good and and, and it's it's quite comforting sometimes when somebody picks up on something you're doing. Um, so that's the thing what Nathan suggested with the likes of metacognition. A lot of teachers out there are doing it without realising they're actually doing it. Yeah. But then if they were mindfully more aware of what they could do more, mm. then it's that kind of, that's the next level. It's deeper thinking for teachers. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because too often, again, in schools, we have this, you know, everybody's embracing raw shine principles and interleaving. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit of a flavour of the month, isn't it, metacognition? Oh, sure, yeah. But the concepts around well over 100 years. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of educational psychologists and psychologists were coming up with these ideas a long time ago. Now, I've got an entry point into this. My wife's a clinical psychologist and one of her actual um, gurus, who was a very brilliant, brilliant author called Dr. Paul Gilbert. I remember seeing his lectures a couple of years ago, 
And again, he was talking about the three brains, the mammalian brain, the lizard brain, the tri, I think it's trying something to do with tri, three types of brain. There's a specific name for it. Mm. And again, there is a lot of good psychologists out there, educational psychologists, really getting into how we work, how we think, and that's filtering through into education. And, and, and what I think hopefully Nathan will be able to give you is some of those practical strategies, some of those ideas, some of those quick, easy wins, the low hanging fruit. Because too often, of course, you know, as busy, overloaded, burnt out teachers that we are sometimes, when somebody comes along and says, I've got this really good idea. And you go, oh, no, your heart sinks. And you go, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to change everything? And, and we're always caught between sometimes embracing the new ideas and then actually saying to myself, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And and, and there is, I'm always need convinced. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm cynical, but I need to see the evidence of it. What's really good, what hopefully Nathan's done, and if you look at his literature yeah. and you look at his blogs, is that it is evidence and research based and i do like evidence and research based but yeah. i also like it when people don't bog me down in the evidence and the research, yeah because you just don't have that time, yeah I mean, so. I mean you want to kind of i mean from, from what i've heard it sounds like kind of both the conversation that you had it's kind of it's a little bit of that kind of intrinsic thing isn't it like he, he, he kind of it sounded obvious to him it was kind of within him anyway to kind of think like that so it was only really kind of adding the research to kind of what he was doing kind of naturally or what he thought was a natural way to be a yeah. great teacher so it's the and he literally yeah has, has something that curiously done and, and and i like when he says you know during during lockdown this is what he did in much the same way that i'm motivated to come and share my experiences and i love communicating with people yeah we all we all find our niches don't we and, we, and once you find your niche that's the beautiful thing with teaching you find your niche and you go with it which brings me to another story which i think um i, I have to respond to so we've got our new educational secretary, which we were willing to give the benefit of the doubt that they've lasted longer than the previous. And we've got the strikes coming up and it's pretty much, there seems to be no budging. The, the big meeting's going in there and they've met with the unions. And what's come out is to solve the STEM crisis in schools, mm -hmm. they're looking at increasing the pay for STEM subjects. Mm -hmm. And straight away, I'm gonna say it, I don't want to be classed as a second class teacher. I don't like it. I see it as quite, and I'm going to say it, discriminatory. Mm. I think it is divide and conquer. I don't look upon departments in the school and say, there's the math department, the math department's better than the art department, because I don't believe that's fair. Yes, math and English are important, but too often I look at primary school children and I look at the narrow curriculum and I don't think it's healthy. I believe, and again, going back to this, that I look at the things that my daughters enjoy doing. We've talked before about your daughter joining the music and the drama. That's right, yeah. And we look at what Britain does well as a country. Where does Britain overachieve as a country? Tell you where it overachieves. Arts, music. I'm sitting looking at, at your homage to the Beatles. You know what <laughs> I mean? T tell me the thing that this country does well is yeah. creativity, arts, music, culture. And yet they're talking about, and, and then we need a solution to the STEM crisis of teachers in school. I know, because I'm currently teaching physics. But if the way to go about it to just increase the money, it's not just about that. That is so tone deaf. This is ridiculous. I don't think these people in charge understand people like us. I don't think they understand that we are motivated for the, for the altruism, for the fact that we enjoy what we do. I just think their motivator might be finance, you know, 
and not being able yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, but I'll, ours aren't. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll take a picture. We can take a couple of pictures here, but this is kind of a, as it's, as Brent says, it's a homage to music, particularly the Beatles here. But um, it's something that me and my wife really kind of get the kids behind drama, art, that type of, because I think it kind of releases kind of creativity, and actually, I think it contributes towards the stem subjects. I think mm. you can't just have stem on its own. You do need some kind I've of lost out track of many students that have gone through my music department and gone and done music technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, altogether, and the importance of this, this is why the, this, the short termism is that according to the Arts Council, it's £8.5 billion contribution mm. uh, the arts makes to the UK economy. Um, so, you know, and we export £5 billion of that so so wow. in, in terms of our reach around the world and our kind of our cultural um uh, exposure power, soft power, soft power yeah, yeah all, all around the world and you know we our, our plays our books our music is picked up massively you know, and you know if you think about kind of i know sometimes people don't recognize it but there has been moments when a book or a film or an album or something that has made the difference and has kind of banged two politicians together or or, or just shown a different way into a kind of a conversation um you know when when, when things have uh, you know, gone a bit gone a bit out of hand kind of uh, in it around the world so but it does come back to that big question that we yeah. asked a couple of weeks ago about what's the purpose and function of education is yeah it, is it to produce you know people the rishi sunak idea when you add that and you add the rishi sunak there's a very clear thing of trying to turn our children into consummate consumers yeah. and it's interesting that you know they 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 only do education for a purpose and i, and I think that's very different I, I would like those guys in charge to value education for its cultural for its development for its for its actual ability to enrich and ask critical questions but i just don't like that feeling it's something deep within me that says that's just not fair and do not get me wrong we need to recruit better teachers coming in more teachers coming in. we need to get maths and science teachers absolutely but they just think simply that by some trick of economics that they're applying some Ken, they're applying some adam smith economics or mm. something along those lines of increase the money here's the curve and more people will join the profession they're not understanding workload they're not understanding the, the root cause of the problem because what i think that's going to solve the problem they've tried that before we used to have golden hellos we've mm. done that before where we've, we've done extra bursaries and golden hellos that may recruit but it won't retain because if your individual is joining the job for want of a better pay, okay, that's fine. But they're going to expect what? Progression, pay progression. They will, they will expect, eventually, yeah. Well, eventually, or they'll leave. Or yeah. what's going to happen? They're not going to stomach what I've had to stomach, which is a 26% pay cut since 2010. So that's great. So you've, you've solved your problem. You've got people in, and now they expect more money. And that's the type of individual you've attracted to teaching mm. who, who now expects to be well compensated for their time. Does this market forces in education? Yeah. So what's the data? Them? It's one. It's one in four leave after how long? Is it, is it two five, years. Two, five. Two yeah. to five years. Yeah. So um, I mean that's that's just not a sustainable. I mean that. I mean the, the, the only thing that I'm thinking about the, the, with the pay thing is do do they then if they if they create a two tier structure are they? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's see that that's where you lose people like me when you create a two tier structure. Yeah. Yeah. But or, or, do you, or do you just have to say in some schools you just can't have art, you can't have drama. <sighs> yeah, it's terrible. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what's round the table at the minute. That's just, that's just morally wrong. Yeah, that's not right. I mean, I would just, I don't understand this. And again, it goes back to our curriculum being narrowed. 
I don't I don't think they're following any evidence whatsoever. When, when we're going to have a chat with Nathan, Nathan about yeah. the fact that his, 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 his work is evidenced, I'd love to see the evidence of that. Because I would say that my 20 years experience, your 20 years experience combined, and I'm sure people listening are more welcome to chip in, yeah. but I think all of us would agree that we need a broad and balanced curriculum for a variety. Um, and pigeonholing children into potential futures is not the way to go. Children don't like to be pigeonholed. They are free spirits. And they should be given as much choice as possible to be able to fulfill their potential. I mean, what, what, how many more Banksies in the world would not exist? Mm. I'm sorry, but not everybody goes down to the city of London and ends up being a banker. Not everybody goes into those type of jobs. We need a society which has got every type of individual catered for, and an education system should cater for all those needs. Mm. And that, that's, that's, that's very, that's social engineering. That's quite dangerous, actually. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Well, I, I, my, my alarm bell rang when I read into the kind of, I, sorry, I metacognited <laughs> yeah. what it is and interpreted you thought about it. Well, I interpreted what I think yeah. what I think is going on. And I put together the evidence from the what's coming out there, the idea of the man's till 18. You add a mm. couple of threads together and you start to see a pattern developing there. Yeah. And then once you start to see a pattern developing, you find more evidence than you build a hypothesis. Yeah. So. I mean, you could do, but as, as we've seen by kind of other news stories this week, they it does seem to be kind of random communications out of out of down the street out of the government so you know maybe they're just kind of flailing around or maybe they are kind of get to so i think what we'll do brent is okay we'll go to the news yeah. and then we'll get nathan well then we'll, we'll play the interview on um although the interview is pre-recorded uh, brent and i will be on uh, twitter if you do have any questions and then if you would like to call in ask any questions kind of after that interview um that would be great as well because we would love to hear from uh, your opinions, your thoughts on metacognition. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of State for Schools, Nick Gibb, that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities. The guidance was published last year. But Mr Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Cates' references to a YouGov poll, which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact. And he issued the reminder. Ms Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body, as well as resources being used in schools which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right-wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, which warned that half of our universities peddle their woke agenda to students. 
The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports, looking for a series of key phrases including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who fe feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one-off payment by the Welsh Government, similar to that offered to health workers, although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip now widely shared on social media shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents, it has sparked debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they're investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men, who all lost daughters to suicide, want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state-funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos, and Education Secretary Gillian Keegan praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives, and that he hoped that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child. This is for our Ollie. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, a while ago I asked you what is your go-to piece of tech? This week I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting? Thanks, Steve. In our organisation, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it. And there's a lot of bespoke software for 
our type of organisation, student information management services, uh, the likes of Sims or Arbor or, or, or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organisations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. We've tried proprietary software. It's very, very expensive. But actually what we've fallen back to is what Google provides. Uh, using G Suite, which is now Google Workplace, we have access to spreadsheets, to um, form-filling uh, software for, for data collection, uh, Google Docs, which is... You're very familiar with everything via traditional Microsoft offices. Being able to link Docs uh, and Sheets and Forms together has been almost transformational for our organisation. It's not the cheapest. Uh, I will say the per-user price matches uh, what other software like Zoho or, or Microsoft will do, um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before. It handles our email, it handles our, our, our student information, so gathering attendance, it handles our finance, uh, so invoicing. Um, the, the, the way that the suite works, the way that the package works, just works really well for us. But with very little additional investment in time, effort and training, um, Google offers us everything that we need. The final sort of element that, that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as Chromebooks or even Android phones and the ability for us to then transfer our data and, and to, to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organisation. So there you have it, my number one go-to. It's definitely got to be Google Workplace. Thank you, Ian. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, well that's the, this week's uh, news. It's, it's interesting. We're just saying that uh, we're pretty much picking up the same stories <laughs> as, as, the, as the week goes on. Um, so... Do you want to just launch to start the interview? So, so uh, yeah, Nathan, Nathan Burns, Mister yeah. Metacognition, as yeah. you said, uh, well done, Nathan. Perfect uh, branding, as we've already commented on. Um, so, you met him this oh, week. Yes, I met him this yeah. week, and um, we, we had a fascinating conversation because um, I got to know Nathan recently, and you know, you know, it was um, it's a word that I recognise. But funny thing is, the word that I can't spell because. Until I seen his Mister Metacognition, okay. I always called it Metacognition. Okay. And it was only when I was writing up, you know, the the, the thing for this this show, I was yeah. like, I've been calling it Metacognition, okay, okay. as in like, and it's such a geographer thing. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's me Metacognition. Yeah. I was like, it's Metacognition. <laughs> and only did I realize yeah. when I seen his name, I was like, I better spell that correctly because yeah. I've always pronounced it. Metacognition. I wonder if many people out there actually go metacognition. Yeah. Metacog Did you have it about metacognition or metacognition? Or is it just me? Cognition, just you, I think, yeah. Oh. <laughs> metacognition. Yeah, I can't remember. I think I think it's just maybe the geography and you're thinking that's uh, Mega, me metacognition, yeah. 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 I mean but that seemed like yeah, you're constantly thinking about countries. Yeah, so, me, you know, it's just yeah. but it's in that interest. And so and it was um it was a good conversation. We 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 we, we were having on the end of it. Uh, a good conversation as well about the MADS idea with Rishi Sunak, which we'll save for a later date. 
um, because obviously one one of yeah. Nathan's response to you know the recent the, the recent idea of extending maths to eighteen, and Nathan puts up the other hat on of a head of mathematics in a Derbyshire school, so therefore it's it's kind of a thought was a too good an opportunity to to pass up. Mm. So we'll play that on a, a later date because it's it's going to be a reasonably lengthy interview mm. uh, where we explore in many ways um, all the ideas around practical teachings of metacognition mission in schools and he's got some publications he's got an upcoming publication as well uh, he's got a blog so it's something as we, as we said that he is massively motivated um because he had a question and he went and found out about it and, and i think he got he got himself down the the metacognition rabbit hole and the further he's got down that hole the more he's realized he kind of wants to share the the prophecy yeah so to speak and i think as i left him what i would sort of say to it is i've always been aware of it um, and it was something always back in my mind of like, how does the brain work? Why do kids? Because the social scientist in me actually wants to always find out. The, yeah. the, you know, why do people do what they do? Why do the kids not learn? And and that's it, every teacher is always trying to come up with new ways, new ideas. And you think, well, actually, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to change how children think and do. But we're also trying to do it in a way that we're there cooperating with us. And mm. Gone are the days where you just basically had to almost bully children into learning. You good old days of yeah. just the kid and everything else. It's participants, isn't it? You've got the, the equal participant in the process. They have to be. And in fact, one of the things that's most amazing is, is that you and I both know that in the middle of in the middle of your lesson sometimes, the children's metacognition can sometimes take you in places that you've never thought mm. of before. And that's the beautiful exchange. That's the, that's the meeting of the mind yeah. because their brains are uber fast yeah and sometimes they're thinking about things that we're not thinking about and equally i'm thinking about things and expecting them to read my mind and yeah. i think sometimes it's not the meaning of the minds you know i'm saying to a child what are you thinking about i'm just not thinking at all but equally you know my mind's on 50 other things so i think it's it's, it's a connected i think to mindfulness as well yeah. there's a lot a lot of good nuggets in this and a lot of really good practical strategies and a lot of further reading and should you want to do more homework <laughs> see what i'm doing there so if sorry. you want to do more homework yep. we're not forcing you to you know sir and sir mr midas yeah. here we, we uh, should we should set detention shouldn't we for listeners that don't do the homework what's the punishment to listen to us yeah they have to listen more yeah <laughs> So, right, right, should we hear from Nathan yeah. then? Because uh, it's about uh, got about fifty minutes uh, of of Nathan, um, and uh, you know we'll keep our live feed up. Uh, please uh, tweet or message the show, and we'll try and get some messages out uh, before the end of the show. Before we start, yep. uh, don't forget we are sponsored by John Cat, and John Cat is a publisher, and they do some fantastic titles, and uh, um, some fantastic titles. Uh, including lots of titles about metacognition and also thinking and thinking about thinking and pedagogy because really this is what this is about so if you want to check out uh, john Cat as well that's fantastic and don't forget um we, we're always looking for hosts we're, we've got we've got a roster filling up and we've got new new hosts coming online who've got adding to their flavor of what we do so please um by all means think about doing that as well um okay so let's fire away then 
Hi there and welcome to this Teachers Talk Radio with me, Brent Poland. So today with me I have Nathan Burns, who's the founder of Metacognition U. He's written lots of resources on metacognition and teaching resources for TES at Oxford University Press. He's currently the head of maths in Derbyshire School for his sins, and he was previously an abled and talented coordinator. Uh, just a general all-round good day. And I will be asking him about the Mads question at the end when we have a little chat about um, Rishi Sunak and the Mads thing, because I'm keen to see what a mathematician and a head of maths makes of that grand plan. So we're going to talk about metacognition uh, and, and general interests in what that field is and some of the publications that Nathan's done and what he's found as research and how obviously that could be filtered into the classroom and ourselves. So why Nathan metacognition? It started a long time ago. Um, it started during my teach training um, and it was you know when you've got to do the essays, when you've got to do the assignments, you've got to find something that you're interested in, you've got to do a project in your classroom and I just came across metacognition um, and it was something that I read about and I, I sort of understood. It was one of those that I read about and I actually understood. And I, I sort of, I did my project and it was quite interesting. I really enjoyed it. And then my next project, I kind of shoehorned the metacognition into that. Um, and I kind of got away with a path, but I just was enjoying doing it. And mm. you never really enjoy doing those assignments, do you? When you're starting off your teaching career, they're not the things really you look forward to. So actually finding something that was interesting to do um, was sort of the spark and then lockdown came sort of a couple of years after that I had some opportunities at my first school to sort of deliver some CPD on that so that was me dipping my toe into the water of telling everybody you know all about this metacognition that I discovered there in my second year of teaching um, I remember being petrified that first time standing up and telling the whole school about these things I discovered um, and then yeah lockdown came and I wasn't going to learn to play the guitar, I wasn't going to learn to sing, I wasn't going to learn a language. I thought, you know, what can I do? And I remember saying, oh, I'll make some metacognition CPD. That's, you know, what I'll spend my time doing. And I did, you know, I set up Metacognition U, the Twitter handle, set up metacognition.org.uk. Neither really exist anymore, just to time, really. Um, and yeah, so I, I sat down and I, I put together these CPD packages. I put together that, you know, all of the resources, I think in total, I put together sort of 100 documents and cpd sessions to listen to you're a man on a mission um you? and you know it was really helpful to have that time during lockdown you know plan my lessons do the online recording do the metacognition stuff you know the things that i really enjoyed doing and just yeah properly fell in love with it felt that it was something that was underutilized felt that it was something that i could implement in my teaching but something that actually a lot of people do but it can be refined really easily without mm. a lot of workload um to really improve student outcomes and obviously the EEF rank it as now it's the most significant impact or the most significant intervention that you can actually put in place um, wow. so of all the things out there in theory not necessarily in practice but in theory it's got all the tools there to increase student attainment by anything else that we can do really so it's the kind of the eureka moment that kind of um for me it was motivation i, I read about motivation intrinsic and extrinsic yeah. and carol dweck and there's certain things that do resonate yeah. and i suppose what they do is they resonate with you personally because there's something in, in in the metacognition that you must have then reflected same way with me with motivation i always thought i can motivate kids i could be that captain my captain get yeah. them on the table you know yeah. and i and i'm that generation thinking i'm robin williams in a <laughs> yeah. classroom I wish I'm Robin Williams yeah. in a classroom. Yeah. So that you got that metacognition bug, I suppose. But then why specifically the metacognition? What was the, the kind of motivator? What, what was it about the metacognition that sort of sung to you or, or hooked you in then? I think it was the fact that I found myself 
reflecting back upon when I was in secondary school and realising that by luck rather than anything that I'd actually developed quite a range of metacognitive skills I was very good at my evaluation I was very good at getting sort of my revision set up I was very good at sort of being able to describe the thought presses I was going through I was you know reflecting I was sort of monitoring during the tasks I was just very effective very efficient during my GCSE years and I sort of reflected on that and thought oh I got all that by luck that was really helpful for me I'm now where I am in my career mm. um basically due to those skills and actually it's not just me thinking about these things actually there's a lot of research out there which shows how beneficial metacognition can be mm. actually this could be sort of that golden snitch sort of you know if we can get the students to do this one thing imagine what they could do you know imagine if they're always effective with their revision imagine every time you give them some feedback they use it in the right way they inform their future planning Ooh. you know imagine every time you give them a task they're halfway through and they go actually i know i'm not heading in the right direction because you do realize you're doing a john lennon song there um, imagine <laughs> imagine they yeah. reflect on their learning i wonder if you can <laughs> but, but it's true yeah, yeah but, um, but you're saying a kind of utopia with the fact that yeah. we have actualized children who are motivated know what they're doing and are aware it's a self-actualization it's that yeah. self-awareness yeah. isn't it yeah. that they are themselves i mean we know that as reflective learners that we teachers shine a light on ourselves and we're yeah. constantly evaluating and you're right i always hark back to my education and think i got here in spite of my teachers mm. not because of them as not just no disrespect to them yeah. they didn't know what we kind of know now yeah. now my wife's a clinical psychologist so i do have a bit of an interest mm. in metacognition and, and how she always described it to me was the thinking about thinking and i sometimes say that to the kids like the difference between us and different animals is the fact that we can think about thinking and i'm thinking about the fact that you're thinking about the fact that i'm thinking and i just the look in kids' faces sometimes yeah. when you sort of open the metacognition box, when they sort of realize, do you know how deep we can go? Yeah. But you're right, we do have elements of metacognition, but it's tick service tokenism. Let's do a deeper thinking question. And then we don't explain what the purpose or function of the deeper thinking question is. We're yeah. kind of doing some of this, but it's done as a kind of piecemeal, not fully integrated sort of yeah. thing. So then what is your vision then? So you've got you've got the you've got the metacognition bug, you've got what you think could be the kind of where this can go. So what next then? I think it's all about teachers tweaking their practice. I think, like you say, we are doing these things where we've got deeper thinking tasks, whether it's, you know, the way that we're starting to think about a modelling. Actually, if we break it down and sort of put our metacognitive lens on, actually, a lot of what we're doing is fantastic. It's just about tweaking things to really draw out those, those metacognitive mm -hmm. things. And I think that's, that's kind of my mission this year. I sort of decided... I guess a New Year's resolution, so to speak. Obviously, I've got my book out in a month, and off the back of that, um, I sort of I'm starting to offer CPD sessions to schools around the country, um, and I really just I do genuinely love it. It is a bit sad how much I love it, but I genuinely just sort of want to share all of this research, and bite size and actually usable research because that's the other thing with research. There are there's great people on Edu Twitter now. There's great yeah. stuff that the EEF is yeah. doing. Um, that you know you can get email updates from some of these great bloggers and it's brilliant but actually something the metacognitive theory is in in a in some respects very very complicated but mm. we can distill it and try to make it quite straightforward quite simple and the more we understand the theory um the better you know better people will be able to put it into so practice. it's turning that into how do we apply this to pedagogical practice because obviously you know metacognition is almost like the psycho psychologists mm. sort of feel yeah. and you're 
you're an interesting character from that specific you almost mirror myself in some aspects because you, you've got a, a social scientist background yeah uh, and yet you are ahead of man so yeah. you, you you've already got that kind of what would they call it the the ability to be um doing multiple things i think mm. there's a name for that as an a polymath what would they call a polymath isn't it when somebody's able to do multiple right. functions yeah. are able to to apply to different areas mm. so you are pulling that in already looking at the bigger picture so metacognition itself what are then the sort of the bad practice the myths what are the sort of like what are the things within metacognition that people get wrong then so yeah. you tell me the good practice later on but yeah. let's go with the the don'ts what, of metacognition yeah, what goes wrong what goes wrong I think one of the things which I've come across in, in, a, in recent weeks, actually, just sort of speaking to people, a few emails, is the idea that, oh, we are already doing it. We don't need to think about it. Something that comes naturally. And like I've said, a lot of it does, but we are reflective practitioners. We need to be sort of taking the time to think about what we are doing. Um, and I think that's the idea. We're, we're never actually done with this metacognitive journey. There are new strategies we can pull in. Mm-hmm. There are tweaks that we can make to our practice. So I think that's, that's the mm-hmm. first thing, sort of more generally around the theory. In terms of when you get stuck into the theory, the things I've read about, the things I've seen, often a belief that it's for the, the most able students, and it, and it isn't at all. I get why that misconception's come about, though, because who are the students who are reflective in lesson? It's the ones, typically, who are doing really mm-hmm. well academically. Who are the ones who do their homework and see the purpose? It's probably the ones who are doing academically slightly better. Yeah. And I completely get why it then becomes sort of this myth that, oh, it's only those students who can, who can be metacognitive. There is yeah. an element of truth obviously because until you've mastered that cognition until you've mastered the knowledge there's no point being meta about it you can't sort of try and evaluate the strategies that you're yeah. using if you don't even know how to use the strategy in the first place so there is of course an element of truth yeah there's no point trying to go to this next level this deeper thinking this thinking about thinking until you've actually mastered the content um but there's no reason why a student in a in a lower set, there's no student with sort of like lower targets, whatever it might be, cannot be oh, metacognitive. See, that is where your controversy starts to come in a little bit because I, I do believe you. I am mm. I'm, I'm with you on that because I've always had the the idea that sets are delimiting the, the glass ceiling. Mm. That I mean, coming from I come from a very working class background myself. I feel the eleven plus. I was I wasn't say I was written off educationally, but I was put in the pile of oh well, you know, maybe in a good day. And I actually had teachers say that to me, maybe in a good pay Poland, you might you might pass your exam. I'm like, and, and with me, I overrid that with fine, I'll show you. I'll, I'll prove yeah, my point yeah, to you. Yeah. So it made me more, I wouldn't say a chip on my shoulder, I had a boulder on my shoulder yeah. by the time I finished. But that's fine, it fired me up and it got me out of there. But there was always that it felt the self-fulfilling prophecy then became so so to speak. So do you think then there is that the, there is that danger that tr- that trap of it's a bit like differentiation of kind of I'm differentiating for the sake of differentiating when sometimes you don't need to differentiate yeah. by differentiating you're actually creating you're creating that ceiling there, aren't you? you yeah definitely and I think that's it if we don't think that lower attainment students can be metacognitive we're not going to give them the opportunities to be metacognitive so they're not going to develop the metacognitive skills. So they're not going to be able to be metacognitive themselves. You know, it is that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. If we don't think they can, we're not going to give them the opportunity. They're never going to improve. And actually, yeah. research shows that as you go through your early years, you go into your teenage years, up to adulthood, your metacognitive skills do improve, but minimally. They improve where there's direct instruction. Where students are still... So I remember one of the case studies I was reading, um, I forget who it was by, and, and they were sort of saying that if you're in school, your metacognitive abilities increased or improved significantly more than those people who have just gone off to the world of work and it makes a lot of sense if you're going through academic rigor mm. you know you are going to be constantly pushed constantly tested 
But actually, as soon as we take away those opportunities for students, if we write them off and say, uh, you know, mm. let's just worry about the content, don't worry about the metacognitive stuff, we're introducing a, a ceiling. You yeah. know, we're introducing a barrier to them. And actually, we need to be taking barriers away from every single student, mm. especially those who potentially have more barriers in front of them. We need to do everything we can. So um, we almost need to target them with metacognition, not the other way and say, actually, it's it's got to do with that again cultural capital, yeah. the confidence, the soft skills, yeah. that this is for you, you can do this, the breaking down the barriers. It becomes a scaffold, doesn't it? If, you know, yeah, if it for is, example, it? Yeah. we think of um, breaking down an exam question, even mm. in maths, we spend so long thinking about an exam question. You know, one strategy is like, what's your comprehension of that task? What is it actually asking you to mm. do? When have you seen something similar? Like, what's your connection? Mm. When have you done something like this before? Have you done it in your homework? Mm. Have you done it on an online platform? Have you done it, you know, in class? what strategies could you use like what did i teach you like how did i tell you you could do this what about the other strategy we talked about mm. right now we've thought about all of that go and do it and you know as a scaffold for students who maybe they just struggle with the content maybe we yeah. are trying to push them to get a four in maths actually giving them a breakdown of the stages that they can go yeah. through giving them access actually that's metacognitive but that's a scaffold that's cpd you know? that's your that's your zpd of you know your proximal development where you're saying yeah. you know i'm going to lead you into it and then withdraw the help yeah, as you progress exactly. i mean I, that's the equivalent of when i always said to the kids like oh you don't start your computer game on hard mode mm -hmm. or legendary mode yeah they start off with kind of they don't start on easy either because they get bored on easy yeah. they'll start the middle level yeah. by the time they've mastered it they're, they're all able to do it and i often joke them and say you don't go to your parents in the middle of you playing a computer game and say i can't get past the next level in the bad boss they figure it out don't they yeah. they have to invest in it yeah but they have to also feel that there's that little bit of nudge progress isn't it yeah it's like yeah. the montage in the movie yeah, the isn't it <laughs> the amount of analogies you can get from yeah. um from video games i remember a colleague in the first school i taught at sort of saying like oh you play a video game you die at the level you don't throw your console out the window you shouldn't throw your console out the window true but you go ah and you start the level again and you formulate and, and you, you strategize. What did I do wrong? And your tactic. Um, and actually, it's it's quite a nice way to explain yeah. metacognition to students. You know, you sit down, you play a game. Because at the end of the day, most of the students are playing a game on their phone, on Xbox, whatever yeah. consoles they're playing yeah. on these days. Some form of. Um, yeah. You know, last game I played was FIFA 05 um, on a PS2. Um, but yeah, they die on a level. They lose the football match. They crash their car. Right, what went wrong? Oh, I was taking the wrong line. Oh, you know, I was in the wrong hidey place, and the zombie got whatever it is. They are thinking about what went wrong. They evaluate. What they are evaluating yeah. what went wrong. What do I need to do? Yeah. You know, that, that's informing their planning. What do I need to do next time? They start the game again. Oh, I think I'm in the right position. I, I can see that thing, so I'm not in the right position. They're monitoring as they go along. But they're also thinking um, about their own performance and thinking about evaluate right this i did this this is the outcome okay mm -hmm. i'm going to do something different and then they also talk this is the interesting thing yeah. they socialize they yeah. talk to other people and go what method have you used your method's better than mine and they adopt yeah. strategy yeah and that's one of the things i loved when i was online gaming and playing football matches you know, somebody would figure out how to beat you with a certain football team with a certain tactic yeah and then you would then do that tactic over and over and over again to yeah. the point where that other person has got a choice they either evolve or they either come up with a new strategy or as you say they just simply give up and nine times out of ten that's the whole fun of it is yeah. is they're trying to outwit you yeah but that's really deeper yeah. thinking and again that's metacognition because yeah. they're they're trying to think about thinking about what they're doing they're yeah. mindful aren't they about yeah. what they're doing and they're working it at a higher level but again like you said it's like mm. you didn't have to be taught some of this yeah this, this is organically grown yeah. so our job then is obviously to take this organic growth and accentuate it and in some grow it where yeah. it's not growing and in others channel it and make it even more powerful yeah. 
so that, that's that's amazing i love that right so then let's go with um where do you think schools are at with this where is ofsted currently at with this so what's the state of play do you think of metacognition in schools so in terms of Ofsted, I think one of the brilliant things that they've done recently is everything they're demanding of schools is research evidenced. And in their sort of evaluation of high quality CPD, they suggest that teachers should be encountering metacognition. It's something that the research shows is important. Hence, Ofsted are sort of saying this is what makes a good CPD um, sort of package. So I think that it will, it will start to come on to schools' radars. You know, there is, there is more blogging about it now than there ever has been. There are more books on it now. Than there ever have been and i think the one criticism that still keeps coming back is it's just a regurgitated theory that we had in the 80s we had in the 90s and it's coming back again now mm -hmm. and i get that mm -hmm. because i've not been in teaching all that long and i can see things now that have sort of been there gone away come back again and i can also see things that have been introduced and have become fat have become things we do because everyone does them and that really highly attaining school with great progress does them well does it fit the context you know does it fit as exactly and was it that thing that they were doing and this is the thing or yeah. was it the behavior was it the yeah. ethos was it the buy-in was it the parent there's so many different factors that, yeah. that weigh into a success of a school sometimes and some people go oh it's our new adoptive curriculum you think is it really that or has it got to do with the the social capital that your pupils yeah. have and there's a little bit of that sometimes with the fads have come this this actually reminds me of and you probably agree with me we had a situation about oh about 10 years ago we had learning to learn yeah and we had a, a discovery program with yeah. the year sevens yeah. and then year eights and what we did was we took two hours of the week and we said today we're going to do about group work learning about learning theorizing doing project work and actually we enjoyed doing that we yeah. teachers we created our own resources the problem with the children was and here's the real problem was what's the outcome they wanted mm. what grade am i getting yeah what what's the concrete what do i get what from I doing this exactly yeah. because we had yeah. so conditioned them 23 hours a week to go here's your level here's your grade here's your level here's your grade yeah. the two hours of the week we're going right we're going to do something different and you're like yeah. okay so we're actually learning about what do, learning. I do with this freedom yeah and they couldn't they just yeah. couldn't handle it because you're almost telling the right hand the left hand to do complete opposite yeah. so that's the thing i think your, your your hypothesis is correct about metacognition you've got to embrace it you've got to embrace it you've yeah. got to embed it rather than tokenism of let's do two hours of a different curriculum yeah. to experiment it, with it, it. It only works if it's embedded. And at the end of the day, it is metacognition. It is based upon cognition. So I think the, the, the thing that fell down with learning to learn, obviously I wasn't teaching at that point, but I think the thing that fell down is, yeah, it became sort of ad hoc sessions. It was a tag on rather than a sort of an influence, a thing that informed the curriculum, informed lessons. It was a, this is, something, this is something good. Let's sort of tag it on. And actually it's not a surprise for students like what's the concrete thing coming out of this because it wasn't tied to any cognition even now if we were to put together a one-hour session we could put a video game up on the board we'd get them all to play a level and then we could say oh why have you gone wrong watch it and we could even show them metacognition in that yeah. circumstance it's got to hinge on something it's got you know what the strategies that we teach them have got to hinge on something that is real life them. tangible hasn't it yeah it, it's a hard enough theory to get your head around when you're an experienced practitioner who likes reading theory it's hard enough to get your head around all of the in you know the intricacies of the theory but the irony um, and here's the irony you're gonna love this the thinking about the thinking some of it can never be measured we know this because some yeah. of the things that i've ever done with students and i i've had students say you know send me a message 10 years after i've taught them that lesson you taught me in the holocaust in year nine i don't think i haven't spoken to that child in 10 years yeah. and and somewhere along the line i planted a seed created an idea did something yeah. that i was so unaware of but i had a home run on that kid yeah. and it made such a difference to them that they're telling me about that brain wave that they had and that's the thing it, how would somebody have measured that yeah i can't even measure that it, it is very very 
difficult to measure. And I think at the end of the day, we will be able to measure it through attainment, through grades, because yeah. it will support attainment, it will support progress. And I know I, it's really helpful just for an adult to be able to do these skills. And schools aren't exam factories. But we know that if we can get students with better grades, we're giving them opportunity. Yeah. We're opening doors for them. So if this can give students better outcomes, then then that's our mm. you know that's our reason to do it, isn't it? And through the back um, door, then you're also answering that question about are we creating critical thinkers, deeper thinkers? Yeah. Are we setting them up? Yeah. Like you say, you you're set up that you organically got set you up for the rest of your life. So ultimately that's one of our functions that we kind of lose sight of sometimes because we're at different stages. We pass these kids on to somebody else and we pass them on to somebody else. And somewhere along the line, then we've got to take stock at at what we've created Mm -hmm. over 17, 16 years of education. And you look at that and you say to yourself, actually, if we could be adding metacognition in there, we could be the individual. And I'm funny when I I realize it myself, the person who who helped me most was my politics teacher. Mm And he turned me into an academic and he was all about this before this was this. When I analysed why he was so good, it was literally he was getting me to really, really think, really challenge the thinking, going deep. But you're right about that. It had to be the knowledge first. He had it scaffolded. The guy was way ahead of his time, actually. Um, But that's the thing is when you realise it now, the person that does it for you or when when you become aware of it or when you're awake to it, you realize the power of it don't yeah. you that what it did for you actually set you up that that almost consciousness isn't it yeah and i think if we were to think about students you know if you were to walk into a classroom think about a year group how many of them are aware of their thinking at the end of the day and through no fault of their own a lot of times it's really hard to get students to actually think for five hours a day that's really really it's hardcore difficult. isn't it and actually to get them to think about their thinking, they're not going to be consciously thinking yeah. about their thinking in a lot of circumstances because just thinking for that many hours a day is difficult enough. So it's shining that spotlight, it's giving them the opportunity to pause, take stock, like what went well, what can I improve on, why did that not work, Mm -hmm. what do I need to do next time, and actually yeah, those little things, and it does set them up, because you go and buy flat pack furniture now, you take it home, we all know it's going to be a nightmare, but are you thinking, right, what is a sensible way to go about this, I'm going to lay out all the pieces, and I'm going to make sure that I've got everything, I'm going to read the instructions before trying to put it together, by the way, this isn't me. This is my partner. I rip it Thank up you. and I try and put it together. You give me an IKEA bed, I'll turn it into an IKEA piece of uh, furniture. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be something else. I am terrible. I yeah. can't. She's the opposite. Yeah. We, we, she does the DIY. I do the destruction. Yeah. We are we're literally. It's, it, we've, we've said this before. She's the psychologist. And literally, my worst nightmare is somebody giving me IKEA with instructions. Mm. It's like Lego was a kid. Yeah. The Lego instructions get out the window. I just create whatever. Whatever you want. It always ended up yeah. in spaceships. It was like yeah. it was like the movie. Everything is awesome. I ended up being that guy creating the spaceship out of everything. And it's it isn't it. It's funny when you look back and now you go. You, you, your brain is the way your brain is and there's yeah. not sometimes there is things you can do to it but you are wired in some mm-hmm. ways the way you are wired and you accentuate it you add to it you you you, bo- you boost it you, you sort of dull some things and that's i think what metacognition can do going back to practical strategies mm-hmm. then so let's take some practical strategies what can your average teacher so give them some advice of what they can do then with metacognition i think the main thing the easiest thing is all around modeling I think if, if you're going to go for anything, if, if you listen to this now and you're going to try something new in your classroom later this week, the thing that you need to focus on is your modelling because that is the kind of thing where you can kind of ignore what the needs of your students are. It doesn't really matter what year group you're teaching. If you can improve your modelling, if you can be more explicit in your thinking. So I try and I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, but I'm always conscious of it. Every decision I make, I justify. 
Why am I doing this? Mm. Why am I taking it's the rationale, step? isn't it? Exactly. And if we shine a light, because we are experts, it's like expert blindness. It can come mm. up in planning. We don't put those steps in because we're like, of course you know how to do that. But actually, when we're modelling, are we showing the students, I'm doing this and this, mm. and this is why. It's that, and this is why, that rationale. Mm. Can we shine a light on it? It's the clarity as well, isn't it? That's yeah. always, Hadi says that the clarity, teacher clarity is one of the things. Yeah. But teacher clarity only comes when the teacher is aware of the stages themselves. Yeah, exactly. Rather, because we can, and I, I'm terrible for it. When I get on, when I get on a roll, it, the, the kids sometimes go, where did he go with that? Yeah. Because they're watching an academic just run with it. And yeah. it works sometimes. Yeah. But you often wonder, how many have I, how many have I taken with me? Yeah. And how many are looking at me going, Look at the entertaining Irishman. He's kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, and you, and that's where you sort of you get you lose yourself. Don't you got to be careful yeah. of losing yourself. So so planning and modelling comes into that. Would you specifically, or would you organically? How would you then model? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, explicitly again in some ways because I teach maths, it's a little bit easier. But if you're solving equations, whatever it might be, there are multiple strategies. Do one on the board, evaluate it. Why would this be useful? Why would it not? show it again with a different example, you know, with the same example, sorry, in a different method. I could solve it like this using this strategy. I could solve it like this using this strategy. Think about the different ways you can go about solving That's like it. countdown, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, because that's the you thing. Are, you are, you know, you've got your target. How, you know, what are the yeah. different ways of getting there? What are your number patterns? What are your bonds? What are, you know, what are your yeah. multiplicative relationships like? Um, Just turned you into Rich and Riley there, haven't I? <laughs> in a maths coming out, yeah. But, you know, and, and that doesn't have to be in maths, you know. It's how you write and it's how you write an essay mm. it's how you approach an assignment you've got we've got this metacognitive cycle of, of plan monitor evaluate mm. so when you're modeling something on the board right my planning is this i know that i'm going to have to do this because there is this keyword there is that keyword there are there are these many marks so it means i need this much time as, you so know, all of i have a habit things. of giving the kids a ready-made answer and going mm. here's what i made earlier is that the blue peter equivalent of here's what i made earlier do I then, would you say the better thing to do would be to me to actually do that real time and show them? Or would it be better I, to go, here's what I've done earlier? You see what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. it's sometimes it's better if you show, here's what I've done earlier. Yeah. Whereas the Blue Peter, if they turn around and said, here's how you made it, here's Tracy Island, and here's yeah. the end. Yeah. But they didn't. They, they, if you think about it, they kind of took you through some of the stages yeah. and then they skipped it a little bit, but they still showed you some of it, didn't yeah. they? And I think e either way, you know, if you were live modeling the construction of an answer, mm. that's great. But equally, especially where the students have kind of got that knowledge, have got that connection, throw them an exemplar answer. Mm. How many marks would you give it? How many of the success yeah. criteria have yeah. I met? Have yeah. I answered the question? But appearance self yeah. comes into that. So yeah. you, that's one of the things I always like to appear in self-assessment is when you, you you basically, what would you, that's the same, same yeah. concept, isn't it, as yeah. well? Yeah. And actually, this isn't about turning you know students into marking their own exam papers, but students need to be aware of the quality of the work mm. they're producing. They need little triggers. They need little things that tell them that they want. we all do, don't we? Mm. We all need little triggers. You know, if you're building that IKEA bed and suddenly it's touching the roof, something, you know, something's going wrong. <laughs> what there, when you when it? you actually get on the bed and you fall through the slats and yes, go, oh no, <laughs> something's gone wrong. So what are those triggers before we get to the final product? Yeah. That means you know you're on the right lines. Yeah. Or you're not. So if you throw throw an essay underneath your, your visualizer, right, the first line links back into the question shows you what you know we're mm -hmm. trying to do the next line is explaining what the purpose of this question is or mm -hmm. the purpose of the, the essay whatever it is so actually breaking it down again shining that sort of expert knowledge on it um the other thing i love to do is get a grade nine question get a grade eight question get a grade seven and i know it's kind of like what is a nine what is an eight what is mm -hmm. a seven? but you roughly yeah, know yeah. we're all experts yeah. we roughly know throw those questions to a kid and say right which one's the nine which one's the eight which one's the seven yeah great why why, why? 
What yeah. is better? And actually, sometimes... Do you find yourself saying, what is the examiner looking for? It's interesting. That's a question that we metacognate. I go, what is the examiner looking for? Mm. It's getting me to think. If you're an exam... It's literally what I'm saying is, yeah. what's the examiner want you to do? Same as the questions. Because those questions sometimes, especially your humanities questions, mm. are always awkwardly worded. They, they, uh, the way they word them sometimes is yeah. illogical. Yeah. But you're often saying, decode it, break it down. What is the examiner really looking for? Yeah. Which is in itself saying... What was the thought that went into the examiner? Yeah. What was their what thought? Was in their mind what was in their mind when question. they created this question? Yeah. Because therefore, unlock what they really because now you yeah. know what they're why well, you know what they were asking for. Yeah. You can give them what they want yeah. because now you've decoded the question and you've thought like them. You can design your answer along yeah. the lines of what you know they're looking for, yeah. isn't it? Oh, listen, even even in maths, again, you've got you do question seven, part A. You go into part B. It's going to be related, just small little things like that. So often, students go seven A, B. I don't think you've not used part A, and it yeah. seems so obvious to us. But actually, a part A normally will link onto a part B, or where it says hence. And it's like that is your trigger for use what you've just done. And again, it seems yeah. so obvious. And this isn't exam coaching. This isn't training. This isn't learn all the keywords. It's logic it's, as well. It's logic. Yeah. It definitely is logic. And it's just understanding, right? What is the thinking here? I've got a part B. It's starting off by hence. So hence means considering I've done that, you know, because yeah. this has happened, because this is the situation, now what? But you and see what's happening to the child there is always the thing and always my biggest problem is they misinterpret the question or they mm -hmm. jump in. And I actually had that this afternoon with the class and I says, right, give them the source. And the first thing they did was they started writing the question. I went, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're going to spend five minutes going through that source. But they're so conditioned to go, quick, quick, go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah. no, stop. Read the source, take a deep breath, plan your answer first. Yeah, plan it, yeah. Plan, think about, and, and, and funny, I looked at some of the students after five minutes and they were writing it better because what would have happened was they'd started writing it and then they'd stroke it out. No, and then by the end of their answer, they would have figured it all out. But that was too late because they'd have written the answer and then it won't flow. Yeah. So I'm trying to train them sometimes to go stop. Take your time. Take your time, plan it out. But yeah. then the problem is, and you, you, you might both know this, our exam system is set up to be a kind of like a, bang, bang, hit, 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 bang, bang, hit, hit, hit. It doesn't allow you sometimes for the metacognition. And I think that's something that definitely needs looked at. And I think that's a field of, of, that might need a bit of investigating of how is at 15, 16 years old, is our exam system getting the best out of metacognition? Or is it just basically, as you say, exam factory, tick the box, learn, yeah. you know, because you know the knowledge thing is in the lower part of the brain. Mm. I know this because I've evaluated that I have an extremely good lower part of my brain. And I don't know why, I've just always had an yeah. ability, but that's again me being yeah. aware of the fact that I'm good at quizzes, but terrible at putting things together yeah but that comes again because you have that self-actualization yeah. questioning then because i've seen that you've, you've looked at question how would you metacognate questions then i think it's turning the questions from content to these ideas of metacognition mm -hmm. so what's the answer here what are you writing what what you know what have you written why is that the answer why have you used that why have you done that <laughs> why have you done that what is your thought process what mm -hmm. triggered in your mind when you read that question what topic have we just done that links to this? When did you do a question like this before? Oh, it's quite know, Socratic, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it, it's all these little, we've got the triggers, you know, how many marks is it? So how long should you spend on it? Mm. How many marks is it? So how many points are you making? Yeah, they're really good. That is more the exam stuff. But why have you chosen to go about it in that way? Why have you I've used those that words? That? Yeah. Yeah. Why have you used those keywords? Why have you used that quotation? Mm. Why have you used those key dates? Why have you used those numbers? It's dissection you know? of what they're doing, it is, isn't it? It really is. It is critically evaluating each choice that mm. is made and evaluating, is that the best choice? Was it the most effective choice? Was that the best thing? What do you say, though, when you know you get this? 
and they look at you and I'm I'm mm. I'm terrible for it. My wife will turn around and say to me, and I'm, it's a therapy. Uh, why did you do that? Mm. And sometimes they think, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. <laughs> I just did. I just it's like why have you made two cups of tea? Uh, I'm almost, I, and it is yeah. because I'm an autopilot. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe not. And it's interesting that we sometimes search for the deeper meaning and stuff. And it might just be I just did that because I just yeah, did. You yeah. know what I mean? And, <laughs> and that's where we mentioned earlier. It can't be a tag on. It's got to be embedded. Focus, yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think there's the capacity for a faculty to do it all at once. Mm. But really, it needs to be a whole school thing. It needs to be, you know, when you sit down at the end of the year, you're in SLT, what are your priorities for the next academic year? If you want metacognition to be there, it needs to be one of those priorities. Mm. It needs to be your TNL priority mm. for that year. You can do things in your own classroom. You can do the questioning. But if you are the lone sort of person doing that and they're buzzing around 14 other teachers across the fortnight before you see them mm. again, they are going to go, uh so do you, you think know. then it needs a couple of pilots or as you say a faculty or two to do it show how it works get the results mm. and then say look guys we've trialed it we've given the results mm. so it does need a couple of pioneers well, doesn't it, it I, be... I would go whole school but mm. but small focus mm. so i'd say right everybody is going to do this have a session on theory get mm. you know the about whenever i write my blogs whenever you know in my book whenever i talk about metacognition take the time to understand the theory take the time to understand the processes mm. take the time to understand knowledge of task knowledge of strategies that sort of thing knowledge mm. of self get your head around that let that sink in and then think right we're not going to do questioning discussion um you know all of so all take of a strand things. then take a strand take a substrand yeah not even all of questioning actually what we're going to do is this half term, everybody in every subject, we're going to critically evaluate the strategies we use. Yeah. Why have you gone about it that way? Why that strategy? So build it up then one? over time. And, yeah, yeah. and yeah. if everybody is constantly questioning about strategies, you can't say in lesson because you know that You're every doing other that. teacher, you know, there are 18 other teachers that are also asking them about that strategy, that approach and build it. Which What's brings us full loop then mm -hmm. to embracing the CPD opportunities mm -hmm. in it obviously having a look at the literature and the research out yeah. there, you know, your, your blogs, the, the, the materials you've produced, actually dipping your toe in and yeah. having a go at some of the stuff. And yeah. what you try to do is you try to break it down into, because you're a working teacher and you know yeah. yourself, yeah. reading an academic book is a lot of time investment. So it's got to be... It's been a long time. It's got to be the low hanging fruit, one. doesn't it? Yeah, it's been a long time since I read a pure academic book. It's been even longer really since I've properly sat down and sort of read through some research journal article because you're knackered at the end of the day. Yeah. And if you do have time and you're like, I want to do a little bit of CPD, it needs to be in layman's terms. Yeah. We can't be going heavy. We're overloaded a bit, we aren't are, we? we are, we're overloaded and it's always been like this and it always will yeah. probably be like yeah. this. And it's the, it is the nature of the job, you know, it is going to be that sort of thing. We are running all over the place. We know what we're doing, <laughs> but we are running all over the place and our minds are fried by, it's the Maslow. You, know, <laughs> you know, by Monday afternoon, you know, your brain's absolutely fried. But what I've always tried to do, and this isn't to, you know, simplify uh, a very complex or oversimplify, I guess, an overcomplicated theory. It's, we want this to be possible for teachers. We mm. want metacognition to be something that schools can introduce. But if it's put in books, which are 400 pages long, crammed full of case studies and theories, no one's going to engage with it. It's not going to be accessible. Yeah. I've always tried when I speak about it, when I write about it, I always try to put it into... Toolkit type of... Toolkit, yeah. exactly. You know, what are you focusing on? 
what what are your weaknesses for your kids, right? Mm. So what about trying this strategy? All right, I'll go and try that one thing. You know, my recent book I think has something like sixty strategies in it. I'm mm. not saying do all sixty at once. You know, it's mm. what what are the issues you're facing. But it's the context of what you can yeah, do, it's what your setting is, yeah. what you're because that thing as well is, is it's what you're comfortable yourself with. Yeah, what what exactly. things do you sort of? Because yeah. you know yourself when you buy into something you know, the passionate teacher delivering something believes in it more is always going to transfer that a lot yeah. more than somebody who's going, what are you doing now? We're doing something with metacognition. Oh, what's that? Yeah. You know, it's that kind of, yeah. you need to get through that cynical wall. And, and this you? is the beauty of all the strands of metacognition. If I was to go in and look at something now, it might be questioning because I feel confident and secure with my question. Mm. That's a good place. To, in the same way that metacognition, you need to be meta. You've got to really understand the knowledge. Mm. Well, for us to introduce those strategies, we've got to be confident in that area of teaching. Mm. So there's no point trying to introduce strategies on questioning if you're a little bit concerned about your questioning more generally. If you don't feel like it's one of your strengths, you know, in your armory, don't start off there with your metacognition. Take your strength and tweak what you're doing and start to see the benefits and start to sort of embed that habit forming, isn't it? You know, really, don't try and do it with something that you're already sort of struggling with. And we've all got weaknesses in the classroom, so don't try and address it straight away with with metacognition. There's nothing worse than a shackled teacher who's been shackled by something they just don't A, agree with, doesn't fit their their pedagogical philosophy Mm. and doesn't fit their sort of... And again, I think that's one of the reasons why some teachers leave certain schools and go, you're doing things this way. It's not how I want to do things. It's like the sets things or the not set things. We we often find, you know, the sort of niche that that suits our, our style. And yes... Uh, again a bit like a footballer you can go to a different football club and they ask you to play the same way and you go oh gosh I'm glad you're here I am again you do have to adapt as well yeah, we, we all good teachers do yeah. bring it all the way back to the end to the end then so we'll look at the key takeaways then so you have five things then you'd say right what would be the five sort of things then you take away number one is the theory sit down have a look at the theory you know have a look at some of my blogs look at look at my book look at the podcasts that are out there there's so many people making more metacognition accessible so spend some time when you're not exhausted maybe given some cpd time in school whatever it is spend half an hour reading through the theory that'll be number one so get your head around that i think number two is identify what it is you want to work on like we've just said don't pick an area where you feel like you're struggling with maybe more generally pick a strength pick something that you're good at maybe you're already really good with your modeling so tweak it Mm. make that a little make that one percent better Mm. start off small rather than going in you know huge um, so that you know that would be number two. Number three is pick the right class, pick the right kids. Don't pick that <laughs> class because you're going to yeah. make mistakes. With, Don't experiment we, with your exam class yeah. until you're ready to go. Yeah, I know. And, the, and this is the thing: whenever you're given a new strategy in CPD, go and try it out. Don't you're going to need some time. You're mm. going to make mistakes. You're going to need some leeway. So don't give it. Don't use that strategy with a class who aren't going to give you that time mm. and space to make the mistakes or improve it because that's going to not be confidence. And it's mm. like a kid. Don't give them something that they're going to really. You know, it was going to destroy their confidence. Set yourself up to fail now, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Really, yeah. So pick the right class, pick the right time to do it. You know, maybe it's one class every single lesson, or maybe you know it's every time you teach this topic. Mm. You know, X topic, I'm going to use this strategy and I'm going to build it in there, and you get the same questioning opportunities. So that's number three. Number four is don't be hard on yourself. We're teachers. Give yourself, <laughs> give yourself a break. More generally, obviously, yeah. In terms of metacognition, give yourself a break. Yeah. You know. You're going to make mistakes when you introduce ideas. It's natural, yeah. you know. I've thrown around dozens of different ideas. One might work for you, one might not. You know, people when they start the teaching training careers go into all the TLAC books. You try strategy, doesn't work. You know, you try it again. You try something different. Give yourself a break. You know, it's going to be difficult for some bits of it. You know, even if it's broken down, it might not go right. 
Take that time to pause, reflect, evaluate. Be metacognitive about the metacognitive strategies you're introducing. That's very metacognitive um, of yeah. the fact that you're metacognitive of metacognition. <laughs> you get into a loop there, don't you? Yeah. Um, and then last, what would I say? Um, I think if you can, work with somebody. Partner up with somebody else who's trying mm. the same idea. If it's not a whole school thing, maybe if you're in a small faculty, yeah. could you try it with different people in your faculty? Is there somebody else who already does that sort of thing that you could go and observe them? You know, basically get a little bit of feedback, get a little bit of outside sort of support. But you can even say to that person, that. by the way, you know, you're doing metacognition. They go, what? Yeah. What's, and, and literally they might not be aware yeah. that they're actually practicing good metacognition yeah, exactly. without, because it, like you, they might have organically discovered it. Seems like the logical right thing to do. And they're doing it anyway because they figured out it works. So, yeah. yep. So, that would, yeah, that would be number five. Find, you know, find someone to work with, find someone to talk about metacognition too. We're all better practitioners when we talk about what we're doing. Not yeah. moaning, not, you know, whatever it is we have to talk about. If we talk about the subject we're teaching, if we talk about the way that we're teaching it, if we talk about the strategies we're using, we're going to become better teachers. And actually, what are the two things that we spend most of our time doing? One is teaching, <laughs> and two is thinking about that teaching. You know, and I was speaking to my faculty about this just, just earlier today, you know, we spend all our time on admin, on behavior, on putting on consequences, on mm. doing reports, all that jazz. But really, what are the two most important things in our job? Teaching. The children. And thinking about that teaching. Yeah, the children. You know? and, and that, those are the things that are having the most mm. direct impact on the kids. The way we teach them, or the teaching we do, yeah. and the way we think about and the planning yeah. of that. It's what so. we can do. What can we do differently? What can we do for them? Mm. How can we better service them equally? How they're changing, we have to change yeah. with them. So last question, and so we've done metacognition, which is absolutely fantastic. And I have for weeks. Oh, like, you know, weeks. I, I said a short interview, so yeah, that was a bad idea. I've got to, I've got to go to the, uh, yeah, yeah, I've got to we'll go pretty soon. Yeah, 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 we will be right. So, um, Mads, so Rishi Sunak mm -hmm. decided that his grand project wouldn't be teacher retention, it wouldn't be teacher funding, it wouldn't be buildings, it wouldn't be any of those things like to, to get us caught up with the rest of the world. Uh, no, it would be let's all do mathematics till mm -hmm. 18. So as a head of mathematics, what was your reaction to what do you think about that? I got very annoyed for quite a few days um, and then I realised he said... This I saw your tweets. Yes. <laughs> And then he said, I, I realised in the small print, it said, this will happen if we get elected at the next uh, general election. So that gave me a bit of a chuckle because obviously that's not very likely to happen. So I sort of, I felt like I, Ouch. <laughs> I felt like I was getting myself all flustered for no reason, really. Um, and I think we've talked a lot about implementation. And one of the rationales behind this is every other country seems to do Master 18. Great. Well, does it fit for us? Mm -hmm. It's all good. At, you know, that school does it. We should do it. Well, yeah. does it work for us? And I think that's kind of like bad by that to me is just sort of bad implementation. The thing that's really caught on for me is the government have banged on and on and on about getting these fours and these fives at GCSE. Fine. Agree. Yeah. Perfect. And then they said that if you don't pass, if you don't get that grade four, you're resitting it until the age of 18. Okay. Okay, that was a fantastic interview, Brent. Um, and um, we wanted to kind of keep the mass thing to a, a later date, so we'll come back to that. I've just found a natural kind of cut off there with the interview because we are going to come back to uh, the maths, the maths question. So <laughs> make sure you, you keep saying when it gets to the maths question, make sure you stop. So uh, we we paused it kind of at the maths station. But thank you very much to um, Mr. Metacognition Cognition. It's funny when I listen back to that, I was like, I was saying metacognition <laughs> and, and Nathan's going metacognition yeah. and I suppose you've got Northern England meets Northern Ireland, yeah. you? you've got two, two, two regional accents yeah. and two passionate teachers. 
So hopefully you enjoyed that because uh, it's great when you, you come across people who are into what they do and doing it for the absolute love of it. And, and that's the thing about a lot of us teachers that do what we do, going back to the subjects, it is important that we have some choice ourselves. There's nothing worse than seeing some of my colleagues who are like, they're just, you know, being pigeonholed into certain subjects they don't want to teach or a role they don't want to teach. And I, some of the best advice you get given to sometimes to people is just be happy in what you do. And if you're happy in what you do, you get good at it, don't you? And, you you know, you buy into it. And um, and that's that's that I suppose that's the thing I took from that. But also there was a there's a there's a couple of really good good points and, and the one that really sticks out for me and it sort of strikes a chord with my philosophy in education is that Nathan was was saying that you know, the metacognition is not just for your gifted and talented, not just for your naturally bright children, that metacognition could be for every child. Because there is a propensity sometimes to do that and go like stretch and challenge. And I'm such a big fan of the Dweckism stuff. I don't believe that children are inherently clever and not clever. Mm. I don't buy into that. I think every child has the potential to be absolutely brilliant at something. Yeah. And I myself, I've got such strengths in some areas and huge weaknesses in yeah. the, the fact that they even got metacognition wrong. So the same goes for the children. We, we have to give these children the opportunity to, to give them the opportunity to develop their brains. Yeah. Because inside every one of them, is the most complicated piece of equipment ever designed by nature. The human brain yeah. is a masterstroke of absolute evolution, and it's an amazing piece of kit. And I think sometimes our kids have got like Ferraris that they drive like you know clapped out bangers. Mm. One of our jobs is to try and you know get them to drive that brain that they have as fast as possible yeah. as they can, and give them the skills to be able to, yeah. to, to do and it. And it links into what we were saying earlier about kind of not creating a two-tier structure in the curriculum in terms of the value of the staff as well um making sure that the whole of the curriculum is equally valued um a parent um a friend of mine i spoke to in the week and i wanted some advice and um you know i, d I didn't realize this was still happening really the the e-back stuff is still being oh. kind of it's still being pushed by some schools uh, i mean that was a very narrowing of, of the curriculum and then as, as, as you're saying there, that's a narrowing, what, what happens if you narrow the curriculum? You narrow the mind, don't you? You, you, you narrow the scope of stuff. And the behavioural change that has as well yeah. when you have a child sitting in front of you. I I chose my, you say, I always use my own analogy. You always mm. use your own experiences sometimes to inform the children. I was you, I sat where you were. And I was given a choice at GCSE. I had to do geography or history. Mm. Um, I chose geography over history, funny enough, because I evaluated that at that time, my maths was better than my English. Yep. In hindsight, looking back at that, when I did my A-levels, one of the first things I did at A-levels was I chose politics. I wasn't allowed to choose history because the school I went to said, you didn't do it at GCSE. Mm. The teacher who taught, would have taught me history, taught me politics, came to me later on, a couple of weeks later, and said, I should let you do history. Yeah. The funny thing is, I found my way because I had some choice. At least I had. I chose a language. I chose a French over, over Irish. I never read that mm. because at the time I chose it because the two Irish teachers were a little bit for want of a better word, um, passionate about their subject to a point where you had to almost breathe the Gaelic Irish. <laughs> and in that says it wasn't fashionable. I didn't see the point in it. I saw French as quite um, quite interesting and something. So I remember back to my option choices that I had the choices to make, and they were freely made, but I did resent that I had to. Now, the thing I enjoyed the most, guess what, at GCSE? What was the, my favourite subject at GCSE? Oh, I don't know. Um, I presume it's too obvious, say, geography? Nope. PE? Geography was terrible because my geography teacher uh, wasn't a non-specialist who just basically had, take out your books by war. Yeah. Sciences, you know, sciences? 
And here's one for geographers. Is it Wolf or Wall? The guy that used to write all the geography books. I think it's Wolf. Wolf, yeah. Used to say oh, yeah, Wall. That, yeah. Yeah, Wolf, big yeah, giant, yeah, yeah, big yeah, yeah. almost like. Yeah. And that's what we slapped down on the desk. And, the and it was so obvious that this person was just, again, pigeonholed into that job and wasn't an actual geographer. Mm. Um, yeah, favorite subject, GCSE? Well, the, well, it all it all started for me kind of once once I was able to t- to do business with this, and that's kind of where where I kind of carried on really. Mm. Um, it's a shame, as you just said about kind of making that choice with humanities. I'd have loved to have car- done all three really, um, mm. all all through. Do you know I mean it's a shame that I kind of I kind of ended up on geography side because it was kind of a best fit, mm. um, but um, didn't really get out much out of it in the end. And I can't really again. It became like a textbook copying. Um, scenario um but actually as i've got older i wish i wish i'd kind of done i wish i wish i was able to kind of hold on to the whole of humanities for as long mm. as possible really um and that's the kind of thing we we're talking the other week about um rishi sunak you know why make one subject you know compulsory up to the age of 18 uh why not you could you could almost argue that subjects mm. like history subjects like you know business you know, financial literacy or whatever yeah they, they could be the ones that kind of you take all the way through really yeah um so i mean it's interesting i mean obviously it's a huge resource issue and resources have to be kind of worked at some point don't they but it'd be interesting to know whether you could take something like humanities just all the way through as a combined subject a bit like um science yeah uh, you do you do a kind of collective yeah you did like i like I, I think i ended up with science like doing the doing the double award or mm. something like that um but you end up doing you know, biology, physics, and chemistry kind of equally, and then somehow they manage to shuffle it together for two papers or whatever. Well, they are separate subjects, and yeah. then also, I mean, they've got a lot of content to get through. But going back to it, my, my actual favourite subject GCSE was art. Yeah, okay. And it was, guess what? My highest grade. Yeah. What's one that I stay behind after school? I worked hard at. What did I get out of it? Yeah, I got the highest grade out of it. I didn't take it beyond that. But I'll tell you what it did. It actually was good for my well-being and happiness. Yeah. I stayed behind to spend time with my art teacher, along with some of my friends. And when into his room, the music would be playing, a cup of tea would be there. Mm. And I've recently started doing exactly the same for my historians. On the yeah. Thursday after school, I'd have some lace and biscuits, have a cup of tea, I'd sit down, and this week, for instance, we're doing 9-11. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to talk about what was it like at the time of 9-11. And, and some of the some of the kids, it was really emotional. One of the well, Two of the kids were telling me that their parents served in the forces. And, and that it prompted to have a conversation with Dad about what happened in Helmand Province. It was mm. on the back of what the, the Prince Harry thing. But when I think in the future, you know, whether that child gets a grade or not, I facilitated a conversation between the child and the parent by staying behind after school having a cup of tea with that. And at the deep down, thinking about why I did that was literally me recreating that atmosphere, that climate, that culture that yeah. my favourite teacher had. And sadly, he's passed away and was, you know, that... That yeah, there used to be a teacher thing. You could go and see um, your teacher ratings or something. Years ago, it was like ratemyteacher.com. <laughs> and remember that? Yeah. Um, which was horrible as well. And there was a lot of fake. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to tell a funny story about that because uh, when it first came on, obviously, you kind of you glued to go into it. And um, what, one of the things that was, was under my name was um, uh, Mr. Mr. Spence is, um, I think he's overrated. That was the that was the comment, and and then and then and then it was five out of five. <laughs> so I was like, I got with it. Have you overrated me then? <laughs> or, or you said he's overrated, and then he said then he's given me five out of five. So I was thinking, well, qu- uh, uh, qualitatively it doesn't sound good, but quantitatively I've still got the five out of five oh. <laughs> ranking. So 
but there was people having fun with that, putting oh, in, yeah, like, yeah. messages like, yeah. he, 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 he talks too fast, and I'm like, I'll take that. And then he came, <laughs> you know, five for clarity and communication. But I went on his, you know, um, when he passed away a couple of years ago, um, his site for that, and every comment was genuinely, this man made a difference, this man yeah. changed my life, this man was fantastic, this man was this, this man inspired me. And it didn't matter the student, his, the thing I took away from him was, it didn't matter if they were top set, bottom set, it didn't matter if they were the type of kid who got into trouble at school. He just had that. He was there for the right reasons, intrinsically motivated. And that was the art department. That was the art teacher. That's a place where I felt happy. I felt safe. I felt that he understood me. And it's that of which I would then say, I want to model that as a teacher. Now, I can do that. I chose to do art. I actually chose the part, partly because of the teacher. And we always say that to the kids. You shouldn't choose the subject because of the teacher. But what do you do when you can have that connection mm. with people? You know, you want to. And that's the thing. So it is important having that intrinsic motivation and that choice. So yeah, the baccalaureate for me doesn't work. But interestingly, every subject, I thought more about art than anything else because I was having to think about um, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And I think in, in metacognition, it comes through everything. Nathan himself, and interestingly, has, um, he doesn't have a maths background, even though he's a maths teacher. Um, I don't have a history background. I'm a geography teacher. You know, we've, there's so many out there. You ask a lot of really good uh, educationalists that they, they go on a journey don't they and but they go on a journey of their own design of like i've chosen this i've embraced this there's something about this unlocked with me mm. and i think that's important within the children as well we've got to give them some ad advocacy advocacy yeah. ad advocacy <laughs> <laughs> come on i'm having a right mirror today cognition yeah. and advocacy oh, yeah. you say it i can't i, I i'm i'm i'm, I'm you're flying. Ad Advocacy. That's it. Yeah. So um, I just got to say choice, couldn't I? I just had to do that yeah. myself. Um, but I don't important. think we can do uh, subtitles on radio, can you? <laughs> How does it work? It's like that documentary years ago with Liverpool Football Club, wasn't it, with Brendan Rodgers? And they had, they had um, subtitles for Jamie Carragher and, and Stephen Gerrard, but no subtitles for the Spanish players like Pepe Reina. It was like, <laughs> the non-native English speakers yeah. actually were more fluent than the English speakers. It's funny how it works sometimes, because just this morning I was watching... Um, the rig, which is quite good on Amazon, but that because because all the uh, the um, the accents there are Scottish and kind of almost like really strong Scottish accents, and I don't know if um, but there wasn't an option to take off the subtitles. It was just yeah. it was just it just it just started on. So I just wonder if because it's on Amazon Prime, they've just kind of Aww. because of the American because of mainly American audiences maybe just kept the subtitles on. So that's been a really good show. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed um, having a conversation with Nathan. Uh, I think we're, we're going to try and see, can we get um, Kirsty Alsop on our show? And, her, and, and we've retweeted out about homework, so please t get involved in that. Um, we're possibly looking at getting some of the union representation in the next couple of weeks to discuss the strike ahead of the 1st of February, um, the first of the four um, national strikes. And, and I do think there's going to be a lot of media on that. And equally, there's going to be a lot of talk about teaching workloads. So you're, you're going to get a lot more people asking you questions, and you're going to have to probably respond. You know, we don't get 13 weeks holidays a year. You know, we do work hard. There is a recruitment and retention crisis. No, we're not being greedy. So I do suspect that the, the profession is going to be in the, the firing line. Um, and we will obviously have our um, strike bingo. You know, the, Yeah, that was a good one. There we go. I, I enjoyed that, yeah. Strike bingo. Strike bingo, the, yeah. Strike bingo. Yeah. That, you know, so we'll have a look, watch for those key phrases. You know, we're, we're lazy. We're greedy. We only we don't we work part-time. 
Uh, we know, you know, so we know that, and, and people who know enough. What's interesting about public opinion in this is that um, there was a 2017 public opinion on teachers, and it was less supportive. I think a 30% for and, and something like 60% against. The reason did the same poll, I think it was the Observer. It had flipped completely the other way around. And I'd put that down to just basically what we did during COVID. People know, you know, the job that we did during the COVID crisis. I think there's more appreciation when parents themselves have to step into the breach a little bit of, of the job that, that teachers do. And I know, as a parent myself, um, what the primary school does for both of my children. I am an absolute awe of them. So if you're a primary school teacher listening to this, you are amazing. And I'm sure you often say, well, how can you guys do secondary? I, I often think, how can people do primary and, and the secondary? We're always the wrong around saying, well done you, well done you. But we all work in education and we all do our best. Yeah, just just quickly, the, the poll on uh, Twitter that I put up earlier, um, and if you want to follow kind of uh, Kirsty Allsop's uh, comments on that, there's quite a, quite a number of different tweets on that, but mm. really, really interesting. Uh, we're currently on um, 46% no, 54% yes. Sorry, I completely wrong around. Yes is 46%, no is 54%. Okay, so, 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 so the knows have it. The knows have it for. I wonder how many of them are parents who are going like, "I hate homework." <laughs> yeah, or so, teachers that I say. Don't like it, marketing. Yeah, yeah that's, I never thought of that. That, that. I was thinking from a parents' point of view. So this show has been brought to you today by in partnership with John Cat Educational. Um, they are a leading publisher of books, directory, educational guides, magazines, specifically aimed at the forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. So please have a check out the latest releases and there are plenty there to choose from across the whole range of audio pedagogy through education uh, to even medi metacognition. Um, so visit johncatbootshop.com to explore the full range and advance your professional development today. A bit of CPD there, I suppose, uh, for leisure for pleasure. So have a look at that. Uh, hopefully there might be a book in the future, which was, what was it, bed? bed. No, no, it was a bath. Oh, bath, bath, bath bed, bath. Bath. Big bed. <laughs> yeah. Bath, You'll be bed. very careful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, you know, that, very, very you know, careful. That would be a title for a book, and maybe, uh, yeah. you know, Miss Olsop may have a problem with that, but there, there's somebody out there who wants to write a book, you know, uh, give you a title. Bedtime routines yeah. for, for young children. I, I'd probably be a top seller, I'll be honest with you, yeah. just considering how some of us struggle to get our kids to sleep. Um, but don't forget that we're also looking for, for hosts. We're also looking for people to get involved in Teachers Talk Radio. We're looking for people to come on as guests. If there's anything, that, uh, you're more welcome to, to invite yourself on to myself and Adam. Um, um, we're more happy to hear from you as well. Any feedback from the show, um, and please share, like, tweet, subscribe. And you can download any of our episodes or equally any of the episodes from our colleagues. There have been some absolutely fantastic um, Teachers Talk Radio, uh, Twitter Spaces, and also Podbeams recently. Um, Tom's the other night was 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 absolute liquid gold. Um, that was the um, the Andrew Tate um, special, and it was one of those that kind of went on. In fact, I asked the question for Tom. I asked the question about five minutes before the end, and and he's like so disciplined off. I'm like, I've only got five minutes left, but it was one of those that could easily run another hour because there was so many guests there, and and some of the material that was coming up and, and was absolutely brilliant. So if you are um, trying to do some PHSC and you're looking at the situation with Andrew Tate, I would fully recommend that. Um, some absolute cracking titles uh, to be downloaded. Come and listen to any stage and, and a little bit of CPD update for yourself. So that has been a production for me and Adam. It's yep. been a Sunday lunch. And yep. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, Thank you very much for the third people who have uh, tuned in live today. Uh, really appreciate your support. Uh, tell your friends, tell your colleagues. Uh, let's get a bit of a kind of gathering on this this show because it'd be great to hear uh, from you. Um, next week we're looking at um, 
you know a bit of a deeper dive onto the strike mm. uh, the lowdown and uh, you know hopefully we can get some kind of guests uh, to help us with that as well but uh, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week goodbye you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.